Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to the Dr. Donna Podcast, here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, episode 108, Aging, part three. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. I'm Dr. Donna. Welcome to my podcast. Um, I've been talking about aging and, you know, as I've, I, I talked to my friends and, you know, people online about what kinds of issues they would like to hear me talk about. And when I bring up life on life's terms, that's, that's kind of a big one. And, you know, because living life on life's terms is all you can do. But today I'm going to talk about a big piece of that living on life on life's terms. And that is where I left off last time, which is um, the final stage or the last stage or the next stage of aging. And, you know, if you are lucky enough to live long enough to age uh, and become older, like, you know, I don't know what they would call them, you know, 80s, 90s, 100s, whatever. That last stage, that final stage, that next stage is dying. And, you know, that's an important piece of our life. Because the minute that you are born, you are in that process of you're growing, you're learning, but you're also dying. We're all doing it all the time. It's, you know, a process by which, uh, your cells don't divide as fast anymore. You don't heal like you used to. I, I'm going to tell you that I had an experience the other night in my, in my bed while I was asleep. I was suddenly awoken because I had just pulled some kind of muscle in my shoulder. You know, you hear people talk all the time about, yeah, you know, when I'm, you know, when I wake, this is for old people. This is what we do. Is like, 
we wake up in the morning, we say, oh, you know, it's like, I wonder what I did to myself last night while I was sleeping. And, you know, we laugh about it, but I actually did pull my shoulder while I was sleeping. And it woke me up because it hurt. And today when I was working out, I could feel it. It's like, I really did pull something the other night. It's such a weird thing. But that's because my body does not like bounce back. It's not as resilient. Now I'm not giving up. Let me tell you, I still walk, hike, snowshoe and cross country ski at least four or five times a week. <clears throat> I walk every day, but the hiking, snowshoeing, cross country skiing, I do that at least four or five times a week. And we're not talking, you know, mini hikes here. We're talking anywhere from seven to 15 miles every time. Um, and I do upper body workouts. I, you know, I use 10 or eight or five pound weights, depending on what I'm doing, which workout I'm doing. And I do that religiously. And so I am not exactly what you would call a sedentary person. You know, I, I, uh, I know that it is important for me to do everything I can to keep my body strong and to keep my strength up and to, you know, do, I do all the things that they tell you. Okay. Doctors and, you know, people who know about this process, but nonetheless, I am in the process of dying. Now, I've been with people who have died. I worked in the emergency room, for crying out loud, of two, two uh, trauma centers. And so I've been with people when they've died. That was part of my job. And I remember when I was in Phoenix at the uh, Maricopa County uh medical center they call it trauma center now um and a young man who'd been on a motorcycle had gotten in a crash and they brought him in as fast as they could but he had pretty severe injuries there was no way i mean he might live now with all the i don't think so though he had pretty severe injuries and um the doctor came in and he said, would you please go in and hold this guy's hand? He's, you know, he's got bad injuries, head injuries. His bones are broken. His back is broken. Everything's broken. And and he said, there really isn't anything we can do for him. So we're going to go on to the next one. And he said, so I'd like you to go in and hold his hands, hold his hand. I said, okay. That's part of my job. <clears throat> so I went and I held his hand while he died. And he couldn't hold my hand back because he was, but he was, you know, what we would call, he was in distress. He wasn't completely out, okay? Frontal lobe head injuries will do that. People get, like, really agitated. And um, it didn't last long, maybe two or three minutes. But I held his hand and I watched him breathe his last breath. And I thought, wow, he's 
what, 22 or something like that. He wasn't very much younger than me at the time. And I thought he just missed out on his life. And, you know, when I hear people saying, oh, he, he died doing the thing he loved the most. It's like, well, maybe when you're 22, you really love riding motorcycles at high rates of speed. But that changes. You know, for most people, that's not going to be the thing they love most in their life. And when you are elderly and you're looking at that next phase of dying, which is, you know, that's the next phase. It's like you are really understanding that You know, what I really loved doing when I was 22 or 32 or 42 or 52, what I really loved doing at that time, I may or may not be really loving doing that now. Okay. It's like when I was 52, I was in a, you know, that was when I was doing the most work I was ever doing. That's when I started thinking about writing my book seriously, although it took me a while because, well, I was a single mother of a, of a son and, you know, that kind of took a lot of my energy and time uh, when I wasn't working. But I really had a lot of energy towards what I was doing. I loved, I loved my work always. I still do. I loved being a mother to my son. I loved that in a, you know, capital L kind of way. I loved it. I still love being a mother to a son, but he's a grown man. He's got his own son. He's got a wife. Um, They have their own life. And so I'm no longer mothering him, which is a verb. Um, It's something you do, but I'm still his mother and that brings me joy. But it's not the same kind of, I love doing this because I don't do it. (laughs) He does his own life. I love my work still, but only really do that work once once a week. And I love doing my podcast, but I only do that once a week. And so I've got all this other stuff I do. I've always loved to hike. I've always loved to be in nature. I've always loved to be in the mountains and the desert. Doesn't matter where it is, except I'm not terribly fond of being out on a, on a boat in a lake or something. Something about that that troubles me. I don't know if it was that drowning dream I had, but you know, whatever. Um, but when you are, you know, in that next stage of life, uh, dying stage, you start to realize that the things that you've really loved over time, some of them are still there, but you do it in a different way. Okay. Like I no longer think about, well, I think I'll, you know, I no longer think about climbing the biggest mountains in the world. Okay. When I was young, 
And then the thought never came to me because I was young and I was female and women didn't do that. Um, probably a good idea that I'm not 25 now because I'd be trying to get a permit to go on top of Everest, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to climb the highest mountains in the world. And so when I say I go hiking during the summer, because in the winter it's pretty snowy and cold, and that's never stopped me before, and it doesn't stop me now, but it, it kind of, I'm not a big fan of post holing. For those of you who don't live in the mountains in the snow, post holing is when you're trying to walk through really deep snow and your leg goes through the snow and you're up to your neck in snow. Or at least it's really hard to walk. And so, you know, hiking is still something I love to do. And fortunately, I live in a place where I can go to the mountains or the desert. Doesn't matter. I live right in the middle. And so I go out in the desert and I do some hiking. And, you know, then I go do some snowshoeing and all that. And I love that. But I know that at some point that will probably be minimized. My guess is that I likely won't be doing 15 miles in one day when I'm, say, 90. I'll still be doing it as long as I live. And, you know, my mother, when she was dying, and I had the privilege and honor of being there with her, uh, while she was dying and when she died that day, that night. Um, but the most important thing to her when she was dying was to think that her children had mended their fences with one another. And she really, that was her, her goal in life, even though she was a farmer slash rancher, okay? Her love was waking up in the morning, fixing a big breakfast so her and dad could, could go out and ride in the range, go look for cows up in the canyons, whatever. And they did this, and she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And, uh, but when she was dying, the most important thing to her was to think that when she left this earth, that her children would be friends. And I guess in her heart, she felt that because we were all there one day, in her heart, she felt that they were friends. Maybe they could stay friends. Their children could be friends. And on and on, so that her, you know, legacy could, could be one of, I have children who are friends, who care for each other, love one another, all that. And I don't know how that will work out, but it's a lot different than how I feel about what I think my dying wish will be. I don't know what my dying wish will be because I'm not dying right now. I'm in the process. But I've still got a ways to go. And when you're older, it's a, it's an interesting thing to me that when you're older, 
and you start talking about dying and what that's like, people want you to be quiet right away. <laughs> like, shh, be quiet right away. Uh, you're too young. You're too active. You're too this. You're too that. You, you're not going to, you know, it's like, don't talk about that. And so, you know, you're, you're shushed pretty fast. And I, I don't know. I've always wondered, did I do that to people? Did I tell them to, you know, stop talking about that? And if I did, what would my, what would my reasoning be? One would be, well, I don't want you to, you know, it's like I, if I'm a young person, I'm telling an old person, don't talk about that. Is it because I'm afraid? Or is it because I'm afraid that they're afraid? And so I don't want them to be afraid and I don't want them to think that they're, you know, what, getting old? Hello, old people know we're getting old. <laughs> but the dying thing is pretty big. Now, what I've noticed, because, you know, having worked, I said this before, in the emergency room where there was much death, was that there were people who died that were terrified out of their minds. They were really scared. Um, and most of them couldn't say what they were afraid of because they were either too injured or they were too old and weren't speaking anymore or... You know, they had to have a stroke and couldn't speak. Whatever the problem was, I rarely knew what they were afraid of. But as I've gotten older and I've actually been present in people's dying in their final moments, um, I think that um, my, I can tell you, because well, she's gone, but my mother was pretty terrified of dying. Um, I think until the day, the night that she died, and she was just so tired of fighting and trying to stay alive. It was not, it wasn't going to work for her. <laughs> she was trying to stay alive and she had a condition that wasn't going to allow that no matter how much she fought. Um, but she was afraid of dying. Part of that was growing up in a family in a, you know, in a culture that said, if you didn't do it perfect and you didn't repent, in a, you know, when you didn't do it perfect, you had to repent. You had to repent in a way where you had promised to be perfect. And I know she tried. I know that, you know, the things that bothered her a lot. It's like she really tried to make amends for that and to atone for that. And it's the end of the at the end of the day, I don't think that she ever thought she was good enough, that she did it well enough or perfect enough. And she, she well, I know she told me, she says, God's so mad at me. It's like, why? You are a kind, generous, loving person. You, you know, it's like you're a person that takes in strays. And I'm not talking about dogs and cats. I'm talking about people. You know, I... I remember when I was very young, maybe seven or eight or nine, we lived, well, in 10, 11. <laughs> it's like we lived in out in the middle of nowhere, and this was back in the 50s, always a train track nearby. And what you call hobos used to jump off the train, and us kids would find them because we were out wandering around. 
in the, you know, in the desert or the mountains, whatever. And we would bring them home. And my mother would, you know, like, well, let's have some breakfast together. Let's cook dinner and invite them. And they would sit at our table with us, our little table in our trailer. She would cook for them as well as us. She, you know, and then they'd be on their way. She took in strays. She had kids living with us that weren't my sisters and brothers, but they needed to be someplace. And so, and so she was so generous with her time and her talents. She was so talented. She never believed it. She didn't think she ever was good enough. And I'm not talking about perfection in a way of, I'm the most perfect basketball player. I'm the most perfect therapist. It's not like that at all. Her thing was about being the most perfect person. And I kept telling her mom, you know, um, we're, we're not perfect by nature because we're human beings and we make mistakes. It's just what we do once we make the mistake. Am I going to do it different? Am I going to make amends? Am I going to, it's like, it really matters what comes next. And of course, because I'm her child, <clears throat> she, uh, she, I think she believed me to, uh, to an extent, but I can tell you right now that when you have children and you get older, you don't really see them as terribly wise, even if they are, <laughs> because they're younger than you. Remember, I, I've said before, you know, probably in my first year, that wisdom only comes with age. It only comes with age. And, you know, people used to tell me, oh, you're wise beyond your years. And, and, you know, I, I, I bought that when I was young, but now I look back on it and it's like, okay, well, I had wisdom because of the way I grew up, but that was just, my experience of growing up in a situation where I grew up, not because I had some inherent wisdom. Um, my wisdom came from aging and it still comes from aging. Like I think about dying now and I think about it as, you know, a process that culminates with my last breath. And, you know, there's a great book that I've been reading. It's a very I mean, this woman has written two books, and I'm going to tell you about them. Her name is Margareta Magnuson, and uh, she's from Sweden. Um, and she she wrote the book, The Swedish Art of Aging Exuberantly. And the co, you know, underneath what she, you know, is life wisdom from someone who will quote, unquote, probably die before you. And when she wrote this book, she was 84. And uh, she also wrote, before that, she wrote The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. I haven't read this yet, but there is a, ch a chapter. She talks about death cleaning a lot in her book. But it gave me a perspective, uh, a couple of things that she said that I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> that she she writes and it's you know if people if you're out there and you are afraid of dying let me tell you this 
Uh, some of the things that people are afraid of in this world, big things, is that the world's going to end. Okay? Well, guess what? The world is always ending. We're still here, but the world is always ending. And she says, I have lived through World War II, the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Chernobyl, and now climate change. And then she says, and this is part of her book, here's how to cope with 80 years of constant doom and hold on to your sense of humor. Well, she's very funny. I mean, if you want to read a book about dying, that's hysterical. Her books are really, really good. Um, some of the things she says is, is you know, don't leave empty-handed. <laughs> we can't take us with it. We can't take it with us after we're gone. While we're here, there are many ways to improve the world every day. And, you know, there there's a lot to be said just for those things. When you're dying, you can say, well, my life is over. I might as well just, you know. And I've, I've heard people say this because, well, I've worked <laughs> with people who were dying, but I've also been with people who have died. And they... And instead of thinking about, well, my life is over, I guess, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's probably something you could do unless, you know, you are have Alzheimer's or some kind of condition that prevents it. There's probably something you can do every day that will leave the world a better place. Okay? Uh, it might be um, just simply I'm going to use less water. I'll take a shorter shower. I'll wear my clothes more than once. Then I won't have to wash them as much. I mean, there are many things that you can do to make the world a better place every day. And I'm just talking about when you are in that process of dying and you are thinking about what next? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to leave? Um, you know, I talked about some of the things that happens when you're aging, how you get invisible, how people don't take you seriously. That's just crazy to me. <laughs> we know more about what the world is about than you do. If you're younger than us, we just do. That's how you get wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge. Knowledge in a way that you can't get it unless you are older. It's useful to have, you know, I said, I think last time, it would be good to have a book on aging. Well, I found one, <laughs> Margaret Magnuson. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about her because I think that what she says is important. And the what the way she puts it makes you laugh, which is, one of the main ways, that's one of the primary ways of living life on life's terms is learning to laugh at yourself, number one, but laugh at the, you know, insanity sometimes in the world. Um, so I'm going to continue to talk about this next time. I hope you'll join me. 
Thank you for listening to the Dr. Donna podcast here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. The Dr. Donna Podcast is copyright 2023, Dr. Donna Bevanley, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul Podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.